the big win for DeMar DeRozan over the Atlanta Hawks, 112-108, the final. Jonesy, watching that game last night, yeah. what a thrill it was. And I know our producer, Mark Boffel, wrote it in the chat, but he is money. DeMar DeRozan, I'll tell you what. We've been pumping his tires for a while now, like at least yep. a month, if not two. And I know some people have been slow to the take, but with all due respect to Kenny and Charles and Shaq and everything else, man, I'm not saying he's not having a great year. He is. But for all the chatter about Joel Embiid, and he's been absolutely fantastic, no doubt about it, not taking anything away from him. What DeMar DeRozan is currently doing over the last two, three weeks, let alone what he's been doing over the course of the entire season on a new team, on a first-place team, on a team that was ravaged with COVID earlier in the year and the health and safety protocols and postponed games, and you look down, and the first game back after the break, he puts on a show again, the Bulls 39-21. and 21. I'm saying MVP number one vote. If I had a vote right now, Who's got the better record? Chicago. Who's in first place? Chicago. So you know what? He's getting my nod over Joel Embiid in the East. When I look to the West, I know you don't always agree with this, and I'm not saying that you're wrong, but I think because of the Chris Paul-Devin Booker combo, Paul probably loses some of his luster, and now he's out six to eight weeks anyways. That probably takes him out of the conversation, and I'm not sure at this point... Now that he's got Clay back, now that he's got another all-star in Wiggins, now that he's got another all-star yet again in Draymond Green, although Draymond's hurt, I would argue Steph's got more around him. And that's not to take away from Vooch. That's not to take away from Levine in Chicago. But I think what DeMar DeRozan's doing, he would have my first place vote if I had to put in a ballot today. Eric, you know how we love to put labels on things? And, and, and the problem is people sometimes categorize things and and that stamp lives forever like that stamp lives forever and and like we do it in education too and i I remember being a teacher they you're supposed to look at the osr look at the ontario student record here's all the kids that are coming to your class next year and there's all these stacks of files and i never went through them i would say to the teacher last year is anything medical or like legal i need to know is there a custody thing does this kid have like does he need an epi pin or does she need an epi no okay fine because if that kid wants to turn over a new leaf and get away from the old label they have a right to do it and i look at demar derozan and people categorize him like that oh this mid-range guy a dinosaur in a new league in, in in a league that's going a new way and you know he couldn't get it done in the playoffs in toronto that's old news that's old it's done move on from that the mvp is about the year the guy is having he's telling you that other stuff in the past it might be there i, I i've learned from it that's not me anymore this is the new me. And I'm telling you, and you're right, you and I have been on it for, I, I would say, since at least at least New Year's, at least the flip of the calendar, we've been talking about it. Because my, I still hold to the touchstone at times, most of the time, that the MVP, as it has been historically, without criteria to define it, I've tried to think of who's the best team, Who's the best guy? Who's the best guy on the best team? Is there any doubt that it's DeMar DeRozan right now? He's on the best team. He's the best guy. Like that, you know, and that's why 
without the numbers, I gave Chris Paul so much juice in the West. And then my MVP has to be a guy that does everything. And, and the, one thing that, the, the one thing that I will say about DeMar is, and I haven't watched it as closely as I should because I've been spellbound and, and, and just, you know, goo-goo-eyed at his offense and what he continues to do. I haven't watched his defense as much as I should. It's okay, but my MVP also has to play both ends of the floor. And he has to be on the floor at the end of games. There are some guys who are up for were up for MVP in the past that, oh, they had to be taken out because they couldn't make free throws or they were defensive liability or whatever. DeMar DeRozan is just killing it right now. And my, my ballot as of the All-Star break would have been DeRozan 1, Chris Paul 2, uh, Steph 3, and Bede 4, and and Jokovic five. Those, those, that would have been my ballot. Hmm. Now I'm intrigued by the fact that you have B down at four. Like, and I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying I necessarily disagree, but I'm intrigued by it because a lot of people would have a number one, and you got him down at number four. That's interesting, Jonesy. He's having a heck of a year. But tell tell me where his team is. What are they? Are they ahead of Demar's team? Nope. Were they, would they be ahead of Chris Paul's team or Steph's team? Mm, I don't think so. No, no. So as great as he's playing, his team's fourth. Now, if you subscribe to what's your criteria, is he the best player in the game? Then we throw all the standings out the window. If you're looking at it from that point of view, is he the best player on the game? in the game? Because to me, winning counts. Right. And if you're talking about is he the best player in the game, now we have a different argument. Now those okay, so hold now on. that okay. now that five, that list of five E, you can throw them in a basket and pick a name out and I won't argue with you. He's the best player in the game. Okay, now okay, we can have a discussion. Yeah, because here's here's where okay, let's let's peel the onion back a little bit more. And by the way, Double dip of Smith and Jones today as we get set for the Raptors and Charlotte Hornets. Uh, so we will be on the air right now with this show and then back uh, on Friday night with the tip of the Raptors and Charlotte Hornets as well. And we'll get into the Raptors, but this is, this is, a, this is a more interesting discussion, debate, topic uh, right now. So tell me if you agree, disagree with this. If we pit DeRozan against Embiid, pound for pound, player for player, I think I, I, this is my take. I don't want to bring you in if you want to be with me. I would say offensively, completely different players, clearly. But if I try to compare their offensive games or their offensive impact, their offensive prowess, I would say it's even. I call it, I call it even. Defensively, Embiid is better than DeMar. So the impact on the defensive end favors Embiid. So now Joel Embiid slides ahead. DeRozan's record on his team is better than Philly. So now maybe they're even again. Now, here's where I think for me sometimes I look at the criteria, Jonesy, and I think we have to look at this pre-James Harden because we have not seen Harden yet in a Philly uniform playing alliance alongside Joel Embiid. And maybe we think differently about Embiid by the end of the year or maybe, uh, and I'm saying pro or con, because maybe the impact of, of Harden is huge. Maybe it just destroys Embiid. Who knows? And we will talk about Harden's debut later in this show as well. But my point being, if we go pre trade which team 
would suffer more. Chicago, by pulling DeMar and not having him, but still having Vooch and Ball and Levine, or Philly, if you pulled Embiid, who obviously had not had Ben Simmons all year and would be left with, like, Drummond and Curry and Tobias Harris. Which team would be in a tougher spot without DeRozan or without Embiid? Uh the, the team that without DeRozan is the one that was, like, fighting to get into the play-in last year, wasn't it? <laughs> okay, but where would Philly right? be if you pulled Embiid? And again, remember, I started the show saying that DeMar DeRozan's my MVP, uh, yeah, so I'm not, trying I, to, I, I'm not trying to knock DeMar here, but when you break it down that way, I can absolutely see where some might say, okay, hold on, to your point, is it best yeah, player? Yeah. Is it most valuable? Because then when we look at it that way, maybe I've just debunked my own viewpoint saying, well, maybe it's Joel Embiid. And, and, and maybe it's not. Maybe Chicago would struggle just as much without DeMar DeRozan, even with they Vooch, would. even with Ball, even with Levine. I, I think I think Philly I think Philly plummets too, and I think both of them are fighting for spots in the play-in tournament. Um, Philly's got Philly's got a little more experience with guys like when you you, you know you think about a like a Tobias Harris and um, you know a Danny Green on their roster they've got a little more experience but. I, I don't know. I think both teams struggle mightily. Uh, that <laughs> your your argument makes it it takes both of them from the top to both of them from the bottom <laughs> to the bottom. I don't know. I don't know. I, oh, Philly would struggle. They would. They would. I mean, just look at. Uh, let's pick another team in there. And they don't have. Well, they do have a guy who is a past MVP in Kevin Durant. Look at what his absence has done to them. And, and even with Kyrie, you know, even at times playing with Kyrie Irving they and, and missing their guy. And, and so uh, you're right when you said Chris Paul's absence is going to tell us something about the Suns. I, I think they're still really good. I mean, Devin Booker's time now to step forward, come to the forefront, and some of these other guys to, to move up a notch. Uh, but that's going to be hard because the guy who orchestrates that isn't around. But I don't, I don't think they're going to struggle the same way Philly would without Embiid or Chicago would without, you know, without, uh, without DeRozan. That's an interesting takey. I, I, look, the NBA wants this. They want these arguments. It was like the old days of the national championship in college football. Let's not put any criteria on. Let's let the voters decide and 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 you know that's where you get the great arguments and the great discussions and and the back and forth um I, but I, I just look at the season that Demar is having uh and and what he's done for the team like i would he's he's at the he's at the top for me he's at, yeah. right now he's at the top you know and i I, yeah. I don't know how much the voters would also factor in and maybe they don't but I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I choose my words carefully here because I don't want it to be meant, because it's not, with, with any disrespect, if that's even the right word, to, to DeMar DeRozan. The dude's been in the league, what, 13 years? 12, 13 years? He's in his yeah. early 30s. He's a multi-time all-star. So it's not, like, it's not like it's just like popped up out of nowhere and just had this incredible year. Like, he's a multi-time all-star. He is 
among the top what? Well, clearly right now among the top five, top ten, but in the top 30, 25 players in the league. So it's not like this dude is an unknown, but he's not like superstar poster boy Joel Embiid like he's a household name to any NBA fan young or old but you know what I'm saying there's like he's at a level but then there's a couple people that are tick above him and Embiid might be in that tick above him just from the quote-unquote star power and even just thinking about a guy in prime years like 33 is not old but 12 13 years in the league is old and to be having this type of season this type of success at this stage of your career, not in year five, not in year seven, in year 13, that to me should factor in to the equation as well. I, th- I think so too. I think there's a, uh, there's a consistency um, factor and, and like it, he's been, he's gone up a notch every year and he, he hasn't, always been on winning teams like the last few years in San Antonio was it was difficult you know and there was talk oh well geez I guess he was only an all-star when he was in Toronto well no his he was doing the same stuff he just didn't have the team success to go with it so it, it's going to be an interesting race e. it's going to be an interesting vote and I don't know who we had on the show over the last couple of weeks man I'm, I'm getting old all of it runs together but somebody said that they wished the players would take it more seriously when they had votes for stuff, for awards and for all-star and stuff, and not just kind of pick their friends or, uh, you know, a guy on the end of their own bench and, and stuff like that. Because I would love to know, I would take, I'd love to take a poll amongst the players, the guys that are out there on the rectangle every night. And who do they think is the best player? Who do they know who's given it to who and and who can't be stopped and who you game plan for? I'd love to know what they think. I, I you know, we 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 sit back on the sidelines and we see things and we have insights and we talk to people. But it's a whole different story when you're out on the floor, like when you <laughs> when you're trying to cover a guy and all of a sudden, like I'm a six footer and I got a guy six all of a sudden gets switched onto a guy who's 6'5", and he just abuses me, and he scores, and you run up the court going, the bubble over your head's going, oh, my God, like, how the hell am I supposed to stop that? I really hope they don't do that again. I better figure something out. Maybe deny him the ball. Maybe try to knock it away. Like, you just, they know. Guys are out there on the floor, and they know. So I'd, I'd love to know what they think. DeRozan last night, again, in the victory over the Atlanta Hawks, 37 points. Six rebounds, three assists, and how about 15 of 21 from the field? An incredible night from DeRozan. Levine had 20. Uh, Vooch had the double-double, 12 and 10. On the other side, Trey Young rubbing those arms because he's ice cold. Yeah, you're right. Three of 17 <laughs> ice cold for 14 <laughs> points for Trey Young as the Hawks that, lose. That's which where is... it backfires, right? Yeah, exactly. he, that's where it backfires, exactly. right? Like, like yeah. when Embiid when Embiid gave the airplane ride in Toronto. Like, remember yeah. that? Like he was playing oh, yeah. well and giving the airplane. <laughs> and then they start losing. And all you look into the stands, and all the fans are doing their airplane ride. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
fly on home, head to the next golf course. Um, good loss, in a sense, for the Raptors with Atlanta dropping that one last night as uh, the Hawks sit in 10th, only a half game ahead of the Washington Wizards, who are in 11th again. The Raptors 32-25, and 25, a game back of the Boston Celtics. Uh, as the Raptors get set for that game against the Hornets tonight. So um, clearly for the Raptors, work to be done here if they want to jump up into uh, one of those top six seeds. The schedule is, I'm not going to say easy, but it's not its not as um, bullish as perhaps uh, it could have been or should have been or would have been uh, at other points in the season. And I, I think there are some winnable games uh, for the Raptors coming up. And I mentioned Boston being a game ahead. Now they got a huge win last night over the Brooklyn Nets, 129-106, the victory there, as Brooklyn continues to go forward, at least in the ballgame last night, uh, without Kyrie Irving and without Ben Simmons and without Kevin Durant. So they're interesting to watch, Jones. And I know we've talked a lot about them, but like, at what point do you, I don't know if you want to say panic, but at what, start, at what point do you start thinking and worrying or, 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 or kind of looking a little bit sideways where it's like, okay, we got 25 games left. Oh, now we got 22 games. Oh, we got 18 games left. Like, you not only need time to try and make up ground if you have aspirations of six, but I think you need time to get everyone together, the cohesiveness, the chemistry, et cetera, to go into hopefully the postseason and know that you've had a good handful of games with Durant and Irving and Simmons and the rest having played together so that there's some film uh, familiarity and some comfort among them as well. Yeah, I, I, you're right. E. Um, I don't know, 10, 15 games. And, and we're, we're not that far of off of that. that. Yeah. No, no, they're running out of they're running out of uh, the runway is uh, is is being eaten up. Um, the one thing that I will say is maybe it maybe it takes them less because of the personnel and the talent they do have. Uh, how healthy and quickly does Kevin when he comes back? Does Kevin Durant get back to his old form? Um, you know, I, Ben Simmons. It's basically a, a timing thing because he's not he's not going to really be a guy that's shooting the ball all the time. Uh, you you've got him. He's he's perfect in what the Nets need him to do, in that it's it's play defense, distribute the ball and be a playmaker. Uh, and you know if I'm smart, if I'm if I'm a coach on other teams, I think the smart way to play it is, uh, as dangerous as Ben Simmons is, do not give him do not double team him unless he shows. Don't overreact. Don't do not double team him unless he shows he's really severely damaging you on the offensive end he's going in the post he's 610 he's scoring over smaller defenders uh, you know he's he's from the wing he's driving to the basket and getting to the lane if you can embarrass him or coax him into shooting 15 18 footers which he doesn't like to do or probably won't do which means he'll give the ball up more then i'm not saying you're pl- they're playing four on five but he's not that until he shows you he's not that serious an offensive threat, I think you play him in a certain way. But the Nets are scary, man. The Nets are scary with with Simmons, uh, Kyrie Irving. You know they get they get uh, Kevin Durant back, and other guys start to figure out their roles around them. Uh, they're 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 not they're not a team you want to play down there at the bottom. And and for some reason or other, E Vegas still has them as one of the favorites. Yeah. Yeah, 
I, I, I don't quite understand it either. I mean, they're looking at the name, uh, the names, and maybe not the record. Uh, that said, as we talked about on yesterday's show, if they happen to make it into, let's say, the eighth seed, if I'm Chicago or Miami, do I want to see Brooklyn in round one? Nope. <laughs> I, I don't. No. I don't. Um, other than the Celtics' victory, it was otherwise a good night for the Raptors. Cleveland loses. Um you know, Chicago wins, but that doesn't necessarily impact them. So that, that helps the Raptors. Uh, obviously, Atlanta losing helps the Raptors as well. And how about in the Western Conference? We, we can kind of put a bow on things maybe right now, but we see Phoenix without Chris Paul getting the victory, as they should. No disrespect intended, but OKC's been terrible this year. Uh, Sacramento loses to Denver. So if the Kings have aspirations of trying to get into that top 10, they need to start picking up their socks here in the final 20, 25 games. But they got some help in that Portland got blown out by Golden State. And Minnesota gets the win over Memphis. So the Timberwolves trying to prove they're for real, not going away. I know John Morant got hurt last night, ended up coming back in the fourth quarter, thankfully, because that looked like it could have been a scary injury. But D'Angelo Russell with 37 in the victory for the Timberwolves. Jonesy, he couldn't buy a bucket against the Raptors last week, and he was on fire last night against the Grizz. Yeah, um, Minnesota's a, they're an entertaining team. Like I said, they, they don't, they don't play a whole lot of defense all the time. I mean, yep. opponents points allowed. They are, they are not in a good spot. <laughs> they're, they're, they're in the top five, giving up the most points. But uh, I, I got to tell you, man, they they get up and down, and they're entertaining. All right, let's step aside for a bit of an earlier break right now because uh, our next guest has some uh, time-related commitments. He won't be able to stick around for as long with us towards the end of the show, so we'll get to him a little bit earlier. We will dive into the Philadelphia 76ers, and uh, they debut tonight of James Harden in a Sixers uniform against the aforementioned Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, We will continue with Smith & Jones in a moment. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptors Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, and share as well. Raptors getting set for their first game after the break tonight against the Charlotte Hornets. We'll discuss that a little bit later on in the show. Uh, But also we're keeping an eye tonight on the debut of James Harden in Philadelphia. Uh, Well, at least in a Philadelphia uniform. And uh, to talk about... Uh, that and a whole lot more as it relates to the Sixers, as we did off the top of the show. Jonesy talking a lot about Joel Embiid and the MVP chase as well from the Philadelphia Inquirer, Keith Pompey. Keith, thanks for the time today. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Keith, uh, we, we we were chatting, as I just mentioned, off the top of the show about Joel Embiid and, and the, the race alongside DeMar DeRozan and Steph Curry and Nikola Jokic and others in terms of the MVP race. We want to get to that later on, but just in, in general, I'll lobby up the softball to start here. How much anticipation is there among the Philly fan base, among you know Sixers fans in general, just to see how this is going to look? and how it might unfold in the final 25-odd games of the season, this pairing of James Harden and Joel Embiid. It's been talked about for a long time. It finally came to fruition, and now it's time to let's see what it can actually do. I mean, it's it's not quite Christmas, but there's a lot of anticipation <laughs> like it's Christmas Eve, you know, with everyone thinking like, oh, 
you know, what is it going to look like? I mean, it's crazy. You get up this morning or you go on Twitter. Um, I mean, you have from the team website, other people, they're all, like, tweeting out photos of James Harden and saying it's time, it's time. So there is a lot of anticipation with this game, with everyone thinking, you know, like we're finally going to, you know, see what, you know, Joel can do with another elite player on this team. What's what's the style of play going to be like, Keith? That's that's the biggest thing for me. Um, when I think about how the Sixers have, have got to where they are now, uh, you know, third in the East and, and how well Joel Embiid was playing, they, I know there was no Ben Simmons, but, you know, they, they had a rhythm going. And now things are going to change. James Harden most likely will have the ball in his hands. How 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 do they work this out? Integrating a, a star player, but a, a, albeit a new guy into something that was doing pretty well. You know that, that's a great question. Um, I, I think initially it's going to be easy. Um, now I know that people, some people say, "What are you talking about?" But what I, what I mean by that is, I think that right now you look at the season that Joel Embiid has had, and you say to yourself, "I'm I'm a new player on this team." Well, I'm going to have to defer to Joel. You know, right now, James Harden is second in the league in assists. You know, I look for him to, you know, uh, set up teammates, get people involved, especially feed Joel. Um, you know, but then also at the times, you know, pick his spots. They're going to stagger the, the starting lineup. There are going to be times where he's going to be out there and he's going to be the go-to guy. There's going to be times when, you know, closing out quarters or something like that, games, the games. He's going to be the guy with the ball in his hand and he's going to take the shots. You know, I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see kind of sort of like what James Harden did last year when he was in Brooklyn when all three of those guys played. You know, he was more the facilitator. He would take the open shot. Now, my question, and this is what's going to happen when things go rough, like meaning like if they're down, they're losing, is James going to say, you know what? This is a great role, but we need to win this game, and is he going to start trying to take over and doing things? But initially, I think that we're going to see um, James you know, be more of a facilitator and then take advantage of opportunities. But like I said, you know, everything is nice right now. <laughs> but, you know, and, and yeah. that's not a knock against James. It's not a knock against Joel. It's just that when you have two dominant scores, they like scoring the ball. Speaking with Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Keith, the, the, the one guy, and I'm guilty of this myself too when we've been talking about the Sixers, and maybe understandably so, it's Harden, it's Embiid, it's Embiid, it's Harden. Where does Tobias Harris fit into the mix in terms of his importance as being, you know, arguably or not arguably, the third best player, the, the other glue guy on this team, and, and him maybe being perhaps uh, the catalyst to all this, as long as he keeps doing his thing and he can find a way to fit in, he could be also as important in the sense that if he continues to, to do his job on both ends, the Sixers can be fine. If there's any slippage with him or if he drops off, no matter what Harden are doing, maybe Philly struggles as well. Am I wrong for thinking that he still has a very important piece in all of this? Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's the X factor. I mean, when you think of it, you know, I think you know, to, Tobias is from a from a points per game standpoint. You know, you you expect you know his numbers to go down, 
But at the same time, things are going to be a whole lot easier for him just based off the attention that these two guys are getting. And then as a third option, I think that's a better spot for him than it was with him being the the, uh, the Robin to Joel's Batman earlier in this season. And I think that, you know, with the open looks that he'll get, like it's going to be key for the Sixers. And you, you are right. I, I, I do feel like, you know, he's just as important if not more important than the other two, because he's going to have to, you know, take advantage of some mismatches. Um, I, I feel like I said before, things are going to open up more for him, and he's the guy that's really going to benefit. Now, there are going to be some people saying, well, he's not shooting the ball as much. The scoring average isn't the way it used to be. But I, I always felt like, you know, them not having the pure point guard you know, that contributed to a lot of their struggles. Not saying that James Harden is a pure point guard, but he is a 10 assists a game guy. And I feel like Tobias is going to benefit the most from that. All right, let's look at the other side of this, Keith. Uh, Everybody's talking about James Harden's debut and all of this. Um, Danny Green had some, some comments about Ben Simmons. Two things for you here. One, when, what's it going to be like when Ben Simmons comes back to play in Philly? And and you know, does he does he dip and dive the first time? I mean, he can't. Does help he it play he in Philly? Series. <laughs> yeah, and that's just it. Does he does he play in Philly? And two, is there any concern from the Sixers that they have helped the Nets' chances immensely with this trade as well? Um, the, the, the first one is going to be the first question is going to be crazy when Ben Simmons comes back. I mean, a lot of people forget, like, in, in game seven, someone threw a water bottle at him at the end of the game. Outside of the arena, they were burning his jerseys. It, it even got to a point there was a flood in Philadelphia this summer or a real bad rain. And, um, you know, the, the river fl- flooded up and a dumpster was uh, floating down the river. One of the local TV stations says, up. Oh, that's Ben Simmons leaving town, you know, so it's going to be crazy <laughs> when he comes back, right? It's going to be crazy. Now, there's a lot of people, including Danny Green, and um, who don't think he'll come back. I think he has to come back and play if he's prepared to play. I mean, this team right now, they're, they're, they're supposed to be favored to come out of the East, and they suffered another blowout loss last night. So I think that they need to get their best players on the floor and if he's able to play and he doesn't play, that's not going to look really uh, go well in the locker room. So I think he'll he'll, he'll play. And you, you, your second question, what was your second question again? I was asking about them helping Brooklyn. Like how I know they they, oh, they got James Harden, yeah. but they gave up Ben Simmons, and I think Ben fits in well with Brooklyn. I agree 100%. And it's one of those things where, you know, of course, you know, it's kind of like a draft. Like, you know, you figure it out within a couple of months to see who really won the draft, right? But the thing is, not just Ben Simmons. When you when you look at Brooklyn right now, you know, um, they, they they needed a center. They got one in Andre Drummond. You know, they, they, need a, they needed a shooter because Joe Harris was hurt. They, they, they gave up Doc's son-in-law, Seth Curry, right? So you look at this starting lineup right now, and you have four guys who were – uh, uh, all-star at least twice, right, in that, in that starting lineup, and Seth Curry, right? So I, you're right. And then Ben Simmons, when we talk about his weaknesses, you know, his weaknesses is like shooting the ball, being in all these pressure-packed situations. 
Well, he if Ben Simmons averages five shots a game, there may be some people saying, dude, you shot the ball one too many times now. We don't need you to shoot the ball. And I think that he's going to become an uh, uh, all-star at, by being a role player, just just doing everything that a role player can. And you, you are right. Now, the one thing is, it, to me, it's like, you know, Brooklyn kept saying, well, we want one of your young stars. We want one of your young stars. We want one of your young stars. The Sixers were unwilling to do that. And then at the 11th hour, they'll give us drumming. Okay. <laughs> and now you look at it and you're like, wow. Uh, what, like, did they really want the young stars? Or, or, or were they just saying that, knowing the Sixers wouldn't budge, and then they can get drumming? Because Brooklyn, I mean, it may not happen this year just because of, you know, uh, the positioning. But this team, you have to say uh, next year, if all these guys come back, that they're going to be the favorite to come out of the East. Um, this is a, a really good team. But, again, it's one of those things where the Sixers really wanted James Harden. They've been trying to acquire him since the beginning of last season. And sometimes you got to give up a lot. So now it's up to them to make sure that this thing works out because if not, it can go down as like one of the all-time worst trades. Hey, Keith, I know there's an availability coming up you've got to get to, so we'll let you go. Appreciate the time and the insight today. Uh, we'll look forward to speaking with you uh, maybe as we approach the postseason. All the best. Thanks, Keith. All right, and thanks for having me on the show, fellas. There is Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And, and Jonesy, the last point about Maury. And, and, and... Wait, 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 wait. Go ahead. Wait. Go ahead. A dumpster floating down the river, <laughs> and we—it's uh, too bad we didn't have Alvin Williams in typical Philadelphia fashion. I'm surprised somebody didn't like, like, go out there and slap like a jersey on it or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure if we if we do a quick Google or or even through the search engine on Twitter, you probably find a video or because the, the thing about that too is, it's 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 not it's not like it's just Philly fans. It's a television station. It's just like, you know, jur- journalists. I don't care, sports journalists or otherwise, they, they get razzed for, oh, you're you're not a journalist, you're a sports journalist. But still, it's a television station, not just some Joe fan bringing in a sign or, or creating his own meme or something on Twitter or Instagram. It's an actual news outlet. Man, oh, man, that is cold. That is cold. Um, what I was going to say was, and, and – uh, I guess I'm saying this somewhat critically, but he might be proven right. If it turns out that that James Harden is as good as advertised, as good as he's ever been, and has an incredible pairing and partnership with Joel Embiid, then good on Daryl Morey. But Jonesy, if, and I underscore if it doesn't work out, or if it doesn't work out to the extent that he had hoped, I think Daryl Morey kind of, I don't know, got too enamored with his view of, feelings for, relationship with James Harden like he's so enamored with Harden and Harden's been so forever linked with Maury that was he blinded by the 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 friendship the relationship the professional uh bond and thus he was willing to do anything and everything to get him yeah um and and does that to your point Eric to extend that um, does that does the past James Harden, the old James Harden, and what he's accomplished in the past, does that does that cloud Daryl Morey's thinking? Does That's it, what I'm saying. It, yeah, b- yeah. Does it blur his vision in a sense that 
he, okay, we got James Harden. Yeah, but maybe you didn't get the guy that you had five, six years ago, like you're saying. And I, I, I mean, that's a dangerous trade, right? Within the division, a younger guy, uh, Ben Simmons, as much as he has star potential on him, he has the ability on that team to morph into a celebrated role player that is very, very dangerous, that can go into star mode. So uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm fascinated to see what happens when, when, um, when Ben Simmons has to go back and play in Philadelphia. I really hope, I get, I really hope we get a playoff series between these two. Oh, it would be it would be absolutely incredible if the two of them go toe to toe in the postseason. Uh, then Ben would have to play <laughs> for sure. Period. <laughs> um, so it's the Seventy Sixers tonight in the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's an eight o'clock tip off of that game. Seven o'clock, uh, the first game of the evening. And there's actually a few seven o'clocks. Oklahoma City, Indiana. Who's going to be watching that one? Houston, Orlando. Who's going to be watching that one? San Antonio, Washington. Mm, who's going to be watching that one? But Toronto and Charlotte, seven o'clock. Uh, tune in right here. We'll on be Sports watching Netflix, that one. To the fan. We'll be watching that one. We'll be calling the action, but it's clearly of the 7 o'clock tips I just mentioned, the best one and the most notable one as the Raptors sit in 7th, Charlotte sits in ninth in the East. Four and a half games back of the Raptors, though, so Toronto has certainly created some separation uh, from 9 and 10 as they are 5 up on the 10th place Hawks as well. And even you look down and go, all right, there's still 2 and a half up on the Brooklyn Nets, but it's now about... All right, you got to think about who's behind you, but you got to worry about who's ahead of you because those are the ones that you're looking to pick up some steam on. And that Cavaliers loss last night, Jonesy, now has the Raptors only two back of the Cavs who have now fallen to fifth. So I told you, I'm dying on this hill. The Cavaliers are the team that I will continue to watch for their drop. They've already gone from three down to four, now down to five. And can they stay above that line? That's the team that if you're the Raptors or the Celtics or anybody else, that's the one to watch here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> who did we have on the other day that, that agreed with you in that sense? Said, yep, Cleveland's a team that's that's going to fall. Um, I don't, I, it might have been – was it Mitch Lawrence or was it – I don't even remember. I, I, I'm the same Jonesy. Might we, have been Mitch. You know what? Might and it speaks Mitch. to our guests – you know, sorry if we sound boorish or braggish, yeah. but yeah, it speaks to our guests, which are booked by our producer, Mark Boffel. So uh, if the bosses are listening, give Boff a raise because he's been bringing on some huge guests and, and it, it makes us lose our memories in terms of who we've had on the show because we've had so many greats on the show. Um, I mean, even this week, e, to your point, you know, back to back, back to back top 75s with Ewing and, and, and Rick Barry as well. Come on. Come on. You're not getting that anywhere else. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, to, to your point about Cleveland, um, we talk about the different levels, preseason, regular season, post-All-Star break, playoffs, you know, finals. I, I hope they weren't, uh, you have to hope if you're a Cleveland fan and in the organization, they weren't um, star stargazing and star-eyed and googly-eyed over all their, you know, the All-Star game being in their town. They've got, you know, three guys in all-star weekend at home and you know they're reading their press clippings and all of a sudden you come out of the all-star break and before you get your shoes tied up properly you've lost three or four games and that's that can that can hurt you in the east it's that tough i mean there's four games in the loss column between one and seven four games in the loss column between one and seven never mind the win column but you know because they're the number of games are different 
but mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you, you can't go on a protracted losing streak. You, you can't because you will just back your way through the field. You will plummet. Look at the Brooklyn Nets. They were number one, right? And they lost eight in a row, nine in a row at some at one juncture, and now they're they're in the play in tournament uh, standings. They're you know they're they're in position number eight. So, if you're Cleveland, you better uh, smell the coffee and and get going because you you can make Eric Smith look like a like a prophet if you if you lose a few more games. <laughs> I told you I'm dying on the hill. I'm dying on the hill, and I, and you know I admitted I said. I will absolutely mea copa if it turns out that I'm wrong. I will give them their flowers if I am wrong, but I'm I'm still waiting for them to plummet, and they continue to drop here. They've lost three in a row after the loss last night, now sitting in fifth, but still 11 games above 500. That doesn't mean anything right now, though, with you've got the, the Raptors, the Celtics, and everybody else around you kind of coming on strong or at least hoping to finish strong. Jonesy, when you talk about the schedule for the Raptors, and folks, like I, I'm not going to sit here and 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 read every single game, uh, like when the schedule comes out on October 22nd, the Raptors will play. We're, we're not going to sit here and do that over the final six weeks of the season here. But I look at Charlotte, Atlanta. If you want to be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference, you got to beat at least one of those two. Back to backs are always tough. Road back to backs are even tougher. And I'm willing to give you the mulligan of you might not get both. At some point, you got to start putting a streak together again. So if you can get both, great. But you got to at least split it. Then you go into an off day Sunday, another back-to-back -back Monday, Tuesday against Brooklyn, a home at home. Again, got to at least split that. After that, though, you look late into next week. Detroit, you owe them at least one, if not five. Then Orlando on another back-to-back. -back, but both are at home. Need wins there. And then... Cleveland on Sunday the 6th. So I'm going about 10 days out here, roughly. I'm not going to go beyond that. That's the first game of a six-game road trip. But you've got a winnable stretch of games here. Brooklyn, will they have Kyrie? Will they have KD? Will Ben Simmons be playing? But either way, even if those guys do play or a combination of those guys play, Jonesy, there's still going to be a feeling-out process. So I don't know if you can sit here and say, oh, those are easy wins. Nothing's easy in the NBA. But when I look at the stretch that the Raptors have, the ones I just rhymed off there, Charlotte, Atlanta, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Detroit, Orlando, Cleveland, man, you could really set yourself up right now pretty good, especially going into the rest of that long road trip. You could set yourself pretty good with these next six, seven games to really be in a very good position to legitimately talking about one of those top six seeds. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you, you really could, but... Um, man, it's, it's as NBA coaches say, never underestimate how close you are to being good when you're bad right. and being bad when you're good. Like if you look at those games and some of them go sideways and you all of a sudden you, you kind of start sputtering. And I'm not saying that's the case, but you just, you, you look at it and you know, the coin has two sides. There's the, oh man, you got to win these. And then the, the optimist side is, man, if we win these, look at what happens. So mm -hmm. it's a great thing. It's a great thing. It's a great thing about the game. And um, we're in the stretch drive now, and we're getting to the best part of the season. No, I mean, we're we're just a couple of days away from flipping the uh, calendar over to the month of March. And please, God, bring on a little bit more warm weather and, and, 
and and springtime and uh, I think the clocks are a couple of weeks away, so we'll have longer days because we get another dumping today. I'm dying doing the show right now after shoveling for an hour and a half again this morning. Enough of the snow, Jonesy. Enough of the snow. I'd rather be in Charlotte right now getting set to call the game tonight between the Hornets and Raptors. Uh, and when, again, we will call the game for you tonight, myself and Jonesy. We've got the call at 7 o'clock, Raptors and Hornets. First game back after the break. A um, couple of minutes here, Jonesy. I want to get into a little bit more on the Raptors specifically. And we, we did this earlier in the week, uh, the unofficial halfway point, or as we were calling it, the two-thirds point. Give me your key guy or a couple of key guys in this final stretch drive, the final 25-odd games of the season. And, and, and don't, don't say Pascal or, or, or Fred. Give me a couple of guys that you're keeping your eye on in terms of you know, X factors for this team uh, as they make this push towards the postseason. Well, I, I will say <clears throat> to not – I mean, there's, the minutes police have been out big, and there is uh, a toll to be paid at times with a lot of minutes. So – and so far, the Raptors have escaped it. Um, you know, they may have to ride all these minutes to get a six seed or a five seed. But then what happens in the playoffs? You, you do get some rest because there's no back-to-backs, but the games are more intense. So for me, I'm, I'm hoping that if you're a Raptor fan, you have to hope that the bench steps forward a little, that you continue to get good stuff out of Chris Boucher, that, you know, that Achua, who's played really, really well at times, may, becomes more consistent with that that Thad Young uh, is that veteran that they thought he would be when they picked him up and, and, and contributes. And then of the main guys, I'm going to be keeping my eye on Scotty Barnes. Like, he's in new territory now. He's, he's, a, he's a great young player, uh, but this is, this is money time. You know, this is where, uh, you know, the, the veteran move when we land at the airport to go on a trip and it's, five degrees Celsius, but it's going to snow on the way back. The veteran move is to put your wipers up so that they don't get frozen onto the windshield, right? Or to make sure you have the scraper in your car. It's new territory for Scotty. It's new territory. I'm going to be watching him and see how he handles this. And then the other guy, I think, if he can stay out of foul trouble because he usually gets really tough defensive assignments, is OG Ananobi. Uh, he is, I, I think he's a real key in that uh, he's a good defender. He gets tough defensive assignments. Um, you know, look at the other night, uh, the last game we did before the break. He, he had, um, he was guarding Jokic. Got into a couple, got a couple quick fouls into a little bit of foul trouble. And then now that, that kind of hampers his, his ability to free wheel. He's got to be careful. So, you know, those that those are the things that I'll look at. I, I think you know what you're getting, don't you, Eric, from Pascal yeah. and Fred? Like you, you know what you're getting. It's also it's also new territory for a guy like Gary Trent Jr. But he's he's been pretty he's been pretty steady, so I'm not worried about him as much. No, I I, I think that's a a good assessment of things, Jonesy. You know what you get, and also if you don't get it, you know you're not going to be there, right? Like they know what yeah. they need to do, and you know what you need from them. And even as a fan base, you know if you don't get it, you're in a world of hurt. It's going to come down to those other dudes and whether or not they are able to continue to play at the level they've been at and if other guys can step up a little bit more as well. Um, Subscribe to Smith & Jones, folks. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review and download and share and everything else as well. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find Smith & Jones. We will step aside for a moment and come back with a whole lot more. 
Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sport. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Ailish. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, this hour, we're going to shift our attention over to Major League Baseball as well and try and figure out what the heck is happening. By all accounts, if I'm, uh, if I'm reading and, and listening correctly, if we don't have this thing hammered out by Monday, Tuesday at the absolute latest, uh, the start of the Major League Baseball season is not going to happen, at least not when it was originally scheduled. Um, We'll see, though. That could be a that could be a threat right now. We'll break it all down with uh, Kevin Barker, and uh, we'll continue on the NBA path in a couple of minutes and look around the rest of the association. We've already hit a lot on the Raptors and the 76ers as we get set for James Harden's debut tonight in a Sixers uniform, and the Raptors and Hornets going toe-to-toe tonight. And you can hear it right here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, uh, myself and Jonesy, will have the call starting at 7 o'clock. Jonesy, um, I just wanted to quickly mention as well, uh, I know you wouldn't bring it up because uh, you're not that kind of guy, but there was a uh, profile uh, on my man Jonesy, a, a, an extensive piece written in the Toronto Star today by uh, Louis Zatzman. Um, so folks want to check that out. And, you know, we've, we've referenced how long we've been working together, Jonesy, but uh, before we get to our next guest here, uh, you know, we've talked about it many times over the years, uh, but a day oneer, uh, yourself and Leo and Doug Smith and Ray Chow, there's only a handful of people that are in that original day one crew. And, uh, you know, we've probably chatted a lot about this over the course of not just this week, this month, these last couple of years, especially during COVID and uh, last few years since the championship, uh, thinking about where this team was, where it got to, and where it hopes to get to again, and battling through the adversity of playing a full season in another city and now bringing fans back next week uh, from going to, to, to empty to full in the blink of an eye, you've seen a whole hell of a lot over 25-plus years. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a long journey. Uh, it's been fun, too. And, and uh, first of all, Lewis did a terrific uh, article. He did a terrific job with the article. Many phone calls, uh, and from what I understand and, and reading the article, probably – uh, talking to a lot of other colleagues and people in the business, Eric's now given away my secret, our secret, and uh, and uh, my poor office assistant now is going to know that she's been duped, um, <laughs> folks. Eric, I Eric would tell that story. <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric would Eric would call the school, as would some of my other basketball uh, people. Mike Cates, notably, another one. And if they ever wanted to get to me right away. Um, like the secretary would, my office assistant would come in with a little pink piece of paper and put it on the desk and say, Paul, you have a call. And I'd look, I'd pick it up and say, it would say something like, uh, please call Jeff Hornacek when you get a chance. <laughs> or I'd be, I'd be in the office and she'd, it, she'd, she'd put the phone on hold and say, Mr. Jones, I have a Steve Nash who needs to talk to you right away. I'm like, okay, who is that? It's got to be Eric or, 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 um, or the, 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 one, the, the one time you called during the trade, I think it was during the trade, and you said, it's Alvin Williams. Mr. Jones, it's urgent. You need to call, this, call back Mr. Alvin Williams. I'm like, why is he using Alvin's name? Oh, Alvin must have got traded. 
I run in and pick up the phone in the office and I can't talk long. It's lunchtime. It's the war zone. There's, there's no teachers. There's EAs on duty, but really got trade to Boston. Okay. I'll call you back after school. Bang, hang up the phone and go upstairs. And, uh, yeah, you're, 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 you're letting our secrets out now, E, but, um, Lewis did a great job. Uh, and there's been a lot to look at. And, and when you and I, I mean, you were there in year two, you started covering the team in year two. And when we think back to, um, we think back to the stuff that this franchise has gone through and people talking about whether they were going to move or not. And all of the stuff around the Raptors, what a, what an incredible ride it's been. Um, and, uh, you know, on my screensaver, I, I should take a picture of it on this old decrepit computer I have. My screensaver, Eric, is a picture of you and I on bus number five, float number five, on June 17th, 2019. Uh, you've, got, you, you're, you've got your jacket on, and I've got a jacket on and a hat backwards, and we're at the front of the, front of the, 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 the ride, and it's like we're both looking at each other going, are you freaking kidding me? And and I know the fan. I know the fan made a joke out of it for a while. They used to play it when when one of the calls from back in the day when I said, "What a time to be alive!" But that was one of my dad's favorite lines in Latin: "Quan pultrum et vivre." What a time to be alive! And here's a guy who's seen everything from a horse and buggy to to FaceTime. And when he saw the, you know, the man walk on the moon, he said that. In, and we looked at him like, what is that? He said, what a time to be alive. Look at what you're seeing. Look at what you're experiencing. And all the kids that are born after the Raptors championship, they'll only read about it. E, We experienced it, you know, and, and for my own kids, um, it, it's the same thing. It was, it's, it, was a, it was really cool. And, you know, I know it can be like the comet, but we're hoping to see it again, man. No, yeah, that's that's well said, Jonesy. And as I said to you earlier this week, I think we will see it again. I, I, I'm absolutely confident that we will see it again. I can't tell you what year. I can't tell you if it'll be in three years or 13 years or 30 years, but we're going to see it again. I, I don't think this is like a one and done forever, and it's not going to be the drought that our, our friends, the Toronto Maple Leafs, have had since 1967. It'll happen again uh, for the Toronto Raptors. And, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a, a nice little segue here, Jonesy, and perhaps the best one I can think of, and our, our guest is on the line, and, and I'm going to get to him in 30 seconds here. But I, just on a personal note, my kid right now, learning about exchange rates and, and interest rates and all that in school. And much like, like Uncle Jonesy uh, has, has sort of uh, taught him, taught me over the years, trying to, trying to tie things to sports to make them understand more. So I was trying to talk to my kid about, well, the Vancouver Grizzlies – and the exchange rate, which might have bit them, you know, like had at, at the time, right? The Raptors and the and the Grizzlies are yeah. going through back then. What, like a sixty-two, sixty-four cent dollar at best? But the difference was the Raptors had Vince Carter, so they were still selling out then Scotia Bank Arena, and the Grizzlies were still drawing well, but not great at twelve, thirteen thousand people, and they didn't have the star to build around a new owner comes in moves the team the rest is history but had it not been for vince carter had it not been for the fan base that's here in this city 
who knows? Maybe the Raptors are the team that only lasts, you know, three quarters of a decade and moves on and, and, and ultimately weren't here. So it's, a, it's a, a blessing in a sense that the team is still here, still going strong, and, and we're approaching that 30-year anniversary coming up. And now it's a matter of, all right, how long is it going to take to get back to that promised land, to the championship? And when I look at the standings this year, who is the favorite right now to win the championship? Maybe that's where we could start with our next guest as we look to the final you know, third of the season. Who's in line to really make some noise here? And who's going to be, you know, standing there when the dust settles in June? From NBA Radio on Sirius XM, contributor on NBA TV as well, Brian Geltzeiler. Brian, thanks for the time today. My pleasure, guys. How we doing? Doing well, Brian. All good, doing Brian. Well. All good. Thanks. And I'll be, hey, Brian, I'll be listening Saturday, too, to see who you and Sam pick because I need to make a few extra dollars, okay? <laughs> We're doing okay this year. Jonesy, we're doing all right, Sam and I. He's a, we, we got him propped above 500, and I've had a particularly good year this year. So, yeah, tune in the weekend when hey, it's 945 tomorrow. We'll, we'll see if we make you a few bucks. I wasn't listening to Sam, all right? With all due respect, he's a friend of mine, but I wasn't am listening I, to way, Sam. By the way, am I allowed to repeat that, Jonesy? Because, I, I, you know, I'm always looking to get one up on him. He's looking to take every advantage he can for me. That's Sam Mitchell. He's, you know, he always blames it on Betty experience and all that, but he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. Yeah, he does. All right, yeah, so, does. so, Brian, let me ask you then. I'll, I'll, I'll use that as the jumping-off point. Who are you putting your money on right now? If I, if I said to you... Who's standing there, as I said a moment ago, when the dust settles in June? Who is your money on at this point? I know you might change your mind here. It's only February 25th, but right now, who would you be putting your money on? I have to say Phoenix. I say it somewhat hesitantly, Eric, and respect that. Um, I, I think that, listen, they're, a, they're as complete a team as we have in this league right now, and they don't have a discernible weakness. They do everything well. With that said, they're susceptible, like any other team in the league, to get hit with the right matchup. And there are teams in the East that are the right matchup for Phoenix. We saw it last year with Milwaukee. Milwaukee's, if anything, Milwaukee's actually built better this year to beat Phoenix than they were last year. So, I, you know, there's teams that will match up well with Phoenix. The problem that you have in the East is that the team that gets out of the East is coming out of the East bruised and battered. This is a unique situation in the Eastern Conference. You're going to have eight playoff teams that are most likely all going to be really, really good basketball teams, like teams that are going to be very tough to beat in a playoff series up and down the line. Look at what Miami and Chicago are doing at the top of the conference right now. Well, you know, your reward for that may be a Brooklyn team with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving full-time and Ben Simmons like that may be your reward for winning the conference or finishing second in the conference is you run into that team in the first round the Raptors are going to be no picnic in the first round because of how that team is built and their versatility and the way they can match up now again I would worry about the Raptors in a series against a, a team like Philadelphia that's got a legit five that they have to worry about defending. But the Raptors, their style of play, um, the the fact that they have all of these versatile athletes can switch in the way that they switch defensively, and that Siakam's playing at a very, very high level. Look, all those things are, are make the Raptors a really tough out. We can go up and down the line. And the crazy part about all this is I'm looking at the eight teams that I think are going to get in, and one that I don't think is going to get in is a team that went to the conference finals last year in the Atlanta Hawks. That's how deep the East is. So as much as I like some teams matching up with Phoenix in the East, um, you know, that I think could beat Phoenix, I think Phoenix is going to get through the West 
a whole lot easier than whoever gets through the East is going to get through the East. You're going to be bruised, battered, and beaten coming out of that Eastern Conference because the tough series are going to start the second the ball goes up in the first round in game one. Gels, you said something that really made me think. Um, are we overlooking the Milwaukee Bucks? Are they, with their championship experience, are they actually, even though the, the personnel is basically the same, I mean, you know, you got to swap out of Grayson Allen for, for Dante DiVincenzo kind of thing, but everybody else is the same, and they're, you know, they're without Brooke Lopez right now, but, but they're a little older and wiser, and that includes Coach Bud, Coach Ham, all the way down the line. Are we, are we overlooking them? That we, I mean, we keep waiting for Brooklyn to bust out. There was the trade with Philadelphia, and, and now Harden's in Philadelphia. Uh, we're looking at the Bulls, and DeRozan is an MVP candidate. Like, everybody's talking around. Miami is still, you know, they're going to be a tough out. They're near the top of the conference. And, like, nobody's really mentioning Milwaukee. Are we sorely overlooking them, Geltz? A little bit, a little bit, Jonesy. I, I, I absolutely think so. I, and, and part of it, listen, part of it, they've struggled a little bit lately. They've dropped down to this five seed, and where all of a sudden they may, if they stay there, they may not have a home playoff series to start. That could be an issue for them. Now, again, if one of the bottom seeds wins, they get back into into that position. Um, but they, yeah, they have. You know, I think in some ways they're overlooking themselves with how they've played lately because they just haven't been great. I think they're clearly a case of a team looking to repeat that's getting a little bored of the regular season but I look at them now listen Brooke Lopez there were situations that they couldn't play him last year having a Baca as a compliment even if you don't get Lopez back having a Baca in there with Bobby Portis who's made a big jump year over year Bobby Portis is one of those guys that found himself last year in the playoffs and has remained that guy coming into this season and been a much bigger factor here this year than he ever was last year. You look at a front line that you can roll with teams that's athletic to switch with Portis, Abaki, and Giannis, and then you got Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton in the backcourt. And here's the other thing. Drew Holiday has been tremendous this year. His second year in Milwaukee, he has settled in in a way that we didn't figure him settling in. He has been he, – he's one of the best isolation players in the league this year, and he can guard anybody. So you look at where Milwaukee is and some of the upgrades, there's more shooting there. Yes, P.J. Tucker is gone, but George Hill is a fantastic fit there. But the internal improvement is what impresses me. Portis is one guy, Pat Connaughton, who's out right now, but was a factor last year in the playoffs. He's been even better this year. And because of Allen and because of Connaughton, they decided they didn't need Dante DiVincenzo on this team. They chose shooting and figured they had enough of what DiVincenzo brings, and they're probably right about it. Listen, I, I agree with you. I think that Milwaukee's being overlooked a little bit, but part of the reason they're being overlooked is they're starting to get a little bored in the regular season. Speaking mm. with Brian Geldzeiler from NBA Radio on Sirius XM. Brian, we were uh, chatting for a great deal in the first hour of the show today about the Philadelphia 76ers and James Harden's debut tonight uh, for Philly. Do we know yet, like can you answer this question yet, how much of a threat they are, or do we have to wait and see how this pairing, how this partnership turns out? I think we have to wait and see. I mean, they're a significant threat. You put two offensive forces like Harden and Beat on the floor together, and they're a significant threat. But this is a different kind of player than James Harden's ever played with offensively. This is a guy that you need to feed in the post. And where I foresee a little bit of difficulties early on, is that, listen, James Harden has never done well living in someone else's world. He's done very well when people are living in his world. And you walk into Philly, this is Joel Embiid's world. This, everything revolves around him. He is the center of 
the universe for the Philadelphia 76ers. There's no desire by him or anybody else associated with this franchise to make anybody else the center of the universe. James Harden's going to have to adjust to that. And let's face it, he didn't adjust to a Creighton Brooklyn. And, and for a time, he did. But as soon as it got tough and a, lot of, and a lot of the spotlight was pointed on him and he had to carry a little bit of it and he had to deal with some of the Kyrie Irving stuff that he didn't necessarily agree with, Harden, you know, folded up his tent and found an avenue to Philadelphia. So I, you worry a little bit about him because you, you go back and look at his history of how he's done with other stars. Dwight Howard outlived his usefulness for Harden. Now, again, Dwight Howard's done that with other places, too. A lot of that's on Dwight Howard. But let's Chris Paul left James Harden, and look what he's done. Um, Westbrook and Harden were doing great together, but Harden wasn't happy. He didn't have the ball enough. And then you look at what happened in Brooklyn where he ended up not wanting to be there with two other stars, and he was supposed to want to go there and have some load taken off his shoulders with the ability to win a title. So now you kind of can't have it both ways, James Harden. You can't be the guy that needs to have the ball in your hands all the time, but go and play with another great player here that can help you win a title. How Harden adjusts there is going to be interesting. The other thing is what happens defensively with this group. They are a team that largely plays drop defense around Joel Embiid, and they help and recover. There's a whole lot of hedging and flashing on pick and rolls with them, and they are not the biggest switching team in the world. James Harden only knows switching. He loves switching. So how they adjust defensively is going to be something that we really have to watch. Do they try to hide Harden and still play help and recover? James Harden doesn't like fighting through screens. Philadelphia does a very good job and insists on their perimeter guys fighting through screens. So that's going to be something very interesting to watch, how that adjustment comes into play and how long an adjustment period that they have in in integrating James Harden into Joel Embiid's world. Geltz, I mean, Doc is an old-school coach in that sense. I mean, you know, Pat Riley, even when they were getting torched back in the day, he never liked to double-team. Guard your own. And and yep. I don't know if Doc's taken some of that. And, and uh, look, if James Harden has to do that, Geltz, he's going he's gonna to wear out some energy. He's going to use some juice fighting over screens and getting through. And, and that, that, I mean, that's going to just make it, I, I think – more difficult because that's the that's the you hit the million dollar question on the head how are they going to play how are they going to share the ball they've been you know almost 60 games playing one way and now you're going to change it for the last 20 and, and into the playoffs and hope to go all the way there's some huge questions to be answered there huge questions yeah yeah and and, and listen joe do you look at what James, even the big James Harden's played with in the past, what, what, would, what was Dwight Howard's biggest complaint with James Harden? I want post touches. Pour it into the post to me. I want post touches. Harden turned, his idea was you screen on the ball for me, and if you get open for a lob or a pocket pass, I'll throw it. Otherwise, you're screening for me. And then think about who they put in that five spot in Houston when they got rid of Dwight Howard. That was Clint Capella, whose best thing he does is be a, a, a screen and roll diver. So, Harden is used to that. That's not Joel Embiid's game. Joel Embiid likes to pick and pop because he can shoot from the perimeter a little bit, and he likes to be able to, whether it's the elbow or the low post, is to get the ball in his spots and go to work. And he needs space to do that. And the thing, well, the one mm-hmm. thing James Harden has always been hesitant to do is be a catch-and-shoot threat on the perimeter. He's one of the few guys that likes to and is much more productive shooting threes off the bounce. You're not going to have the opportunities to shoot threes off 
the bounce like you would have in another place because Philly also plays at a slower tempo to accommodate getting the ball to Joel and beat. These are all questions that are going to have to be answered. And listen, let's face it, they're going to have to be answered on the fly this year right now in real time. And that's a hard thing to do when you're looking to compete for a title. Hey, Brian, mm-hmm. uh, let's flip over to the Western Conference here. Um, and, and listen, I'm happy to be wrong here. I don't know if Jones agrees. I don't know if you'll agree with me. I look at Phoenix clearly without Chris Paul now. I'm expecting some sort of slippage. Uh, we shall see if that ultimately is the case. They've won eight in a row uh, as of right now. Golden State clearly primed for, for doing some nasty things. They've got a hell of a core. I look, though, right after that. Memphis is playing great. I know they lost last night. But are they really a three seed? Are the Jazz due for some sort of slippage, or do they have enough to continue on and to to finally bust through to a conference finals, let alone a championship? Is Dallas there? Are they ready? Does Luka have enough? Can Denver continue to do what they've done without Jamal Murray? Then we go below that line. Minnesota, great season, but are they really a contender? The Clips, the Lakers, where do they put it? Where do we put them in? I just rolled through eight, nine teams. I don't know what to think of the Western Conference, especially when we now factor in the Chris Paul injury. I don't know if it's Golden State. I could make a case for five, six teams. Yes, you can. Let's start with Phoenix and the Chris Paul injury. I think that, listen, they may slip a little bit without him. It's almost impossible not to. They've shored up the position of the trade deadline with Aaron Holiday, who they're thrilled that they did that now. And they've done a great job this year, the Phoenix Suns, at being missing an important guy and still continuing to roll on. They spent time without Aiton. They spent time earlier in the season without Booker. Now, listen, Paul's probably the toughest guy for them to do it without. But with the lead they have on the Warriors, I even if there is a little bit of slippage, you know, the Western Conference playoffs are going to run through Phoenix. So I think from that standpoint, they, as long as they get a pull back healthy, they have a leg up on everybody else. The, you know, Golden State's interesting in this respect. Like they got to get Draymond back because defensively they are not the same team without him. But I worry about them in a playoff series, even with Draymond back, with having appropriate rim protection. Kevon Looney's had a decent season for them. Kevon Looney ain't that guy in the playoffs. And I don't know that they're getting James Wiseman back this year, but even if they do, he's going to be too green to be able to play that role they need him to play. If there's a big in the buyout market, like Tristan Thompson just went to Chicago, he would have been wonderful for Golden State. They need another size five there to help them out and support Draymond defensively if they're going to make a title run. And I don't know that they have it the other team and listen memphis is young they may not be the real type of three seed and and i think memphis you know gets through a round of the playoffs but i don't know that they can beat a team like a golden state in a two three series i don't think they're they're ready for that yet but they're certainly going to be a team to be reckoned with going forward the team you mentioned that's interesting is the dallas mavericks because what the dallas mavericks have become is an elite defensive team fifth in the league in defensive efficiency right now and they have They've put the infrastructure in place to hide Luka defensively, and that's so important. They've changed how they've used them offensively. It's more Luka in the paint, ball in Jalen Brunson's hands more, but now with Finney Smith and Bullock and Dwight Powell playing well inside, they can hide him. They can take him and put him on the worst player on the other in the lineup on the other team and know that he'll do what he can do there 
but the tougher players that have to be guarded in, you know, go up and down the line, whether it's Phoenix and Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you know, whether it's Golden State and Curry and Clay Thompson, they have Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith who are, listen, look, all you need to know about Reggie Bullock's importance to a team defensively is look what happens to the Knicks when he's not there and look what's happened to the Mavericks when he's playing significant minutes and he is there defensively. So they got some really good perimeter defenders and to me, if they can continue to be that kind of defensive team in this Western Conference, that's the one that can make a lot of noise. Uh, well, Geltz, it's look, Jason Kidd won a championship playing with Dirk, and he knows what it's like to have to hide one guy. And it was, as we yep. always say, you can, you can hide one. You can't hide two or three, but you can hide one. Can and I've, hide I've been one. really yep. impressed with him. Yes, <laughs> I've, been, I've been impressed with what he's been doing. I, I want to deep dive into Phoenix a little bit more. Um, and Chris Paul coming back, probably, if the timetable is such as it is, right on the cusp of the playoffs. Do you think they can recover what they had earlier? He can get back into form. And, I mean, it's a hand injury. So his wind will be okay. He'll be in shape. But, you know, the fine motor skills, the fine-tune stuff might not be there. My question is, and I, I thought they were going to win last year when they went up 2-0. There's very rarely comebacks from 2-0 in the finals. Can they, can they get back to where they were even in spite of this injury? Yes, I don't think there's any doubt that they can. A couple things here that are really important, Jonesy. Number one, Chris Paul, one of the reasons he's playing at this level at this age is because of what he's done with his diet. He's gone in this full vegan thing. He takes fantastic care of himself. You just said it. This is a hand injury. He will not have a wind issue when it's time to come back. A little bit of timing stuff, and he'll have to get the hand kind of back where he wants it, but you can get that done in the first round of the playoffs. Now, what becomes interesting for them is who does that first-round opponent become? If it's the Clippers, listen, I don't think the Clippers are going to – Kawhi Leonard's not coming back this year. And I would be surprised if Paul George came back this year. So, for me, in the first round, the Clippers are not going to be a tough out without both of those players. If you draw the Lakers, I don't believe in this Lakers group, but if you draw the Lakers, you still got to go through LeBron in the playoffs. And that becomes a little bit of a worry for them in the first round because they're going to want to use the first round for Paul to find his timing back. But I truly think, you know, four or five games, Chris Paul will be back to being the Chris Paul that we know, and Phoenix will be humming. This is The thing about Phoenix that's important here, it's not a new group. This is a group that has been together. There's a couple of new pieces here, but they've been integrated seamlessly. And even if you look at what they did at the trade deadline, they brought in Aaron Holiday. They brought back Tory Craig, who was huge for them in the playoffs last year. Played fantastic, but he's used to being with this group. Cam Johnson off the bench used to being with this group. Jay Crowder, who's a guy lately, wherever Jay Crowder goes, teams end up going to the finals. You know, it happened in Miami, happened here in Phoenix. Crowder is a heck of a weapon for them as well. But the core is in place. The philosophy is in place. Monty Williams has this team taking on his personality of a very business-like approach, next man up, and it's us against the world. And so I think when you look at the Phoenix Suns, all the pieces that they have, the depth that they've built, I think getting Chris Ball back and assuming that he's going to be in the, the kind of condition that he's been in for the last two years, and there's no reason to assume he won't be, I think the Suns will hit the ground running when the playoffs start. Geltz, last thing for me here before we let you go, um, and, and, we, and we need you back, man. We, we, uh, Eric and I need you back at some point. You were, you, were quite, you were quite fired up about the Juwan Howard thing. Um, two things. Uh, 
your thoughts on the punishment, but even before that, I'm taking my own straw poll, and we've had everything from Alvin Williams, a, an ex-NBA guy who's, who's battled it out in the Big East saying you should handshake, to, you know, people like Patrick Ewing and Mark Price and people saying, you know what, get rid of the handshake at that level. Your thoughts on the handshake and your thoughts on the punishment, Geltz? All right, so let's let, let's start with this. I, I'm okay with the handshake line. I feel like everybody should be able to be gentleman enough to rise above whatever just happened on the court to, to have a handshake line. With that said, I'm not going to say it's the worst crime of the century if they get rid of it. I, I'm kind of ambivalent about it. I'm fine with it, but it's not the worst thing in the world if they get rid of it. So I, I, have, I don't have a big issue with that. Listen, I, I will tell you this. I was not thrilled with the punishments in this respect. I... I thought Jawan Howard should have gotten more. I think that you have to set an example for young men as a head coach, and Jawan Howard lost his cool in that spot. Um, and with that said, I think he had a right to be unhappy. Um, I don't like that Greg Gard came away pretty much with just a small fine. Greg Gard, is, he incited that, that incident. Now, again, I don't like the timeout. I always will believe that when it comes to coaching, there's a different standard for the winning team and for the losing team in terms of playing it out to the end. It, 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 you know, his, his excuse and his reason didn't ring well with me in the respect that you wanted to give your backups a chance to get the ball up the floor. Well, you want to really challenge them in being pressed, see if they can do it in four seconds because the turnover is meaningless. And, and that's the challenge for your reserves in that particular situation, calling a timeout to make it easier for them when you're up 15 points with 15 seconds left doesn't resonate with me. But I don't like that guard put his hands on Jawan Howard first. If Jawan Howard did not want to hear that explanation, he didn't have to hear that explanation, that handshake line. Let him go. Let him go. Guard grabbed him by the wrist. Because he had to tell him on the spot at that moment. John Howard doesn't have to hear that at that moment. He doesn't. And, and I think what was missed here in the punishments, and okay, they suspended Juwan Howard. He deserved I, I might have suspended him for the rest of the season, uh, certainly the Big Ten tournament, and only had him coach the NCAA tournament. Because, again, I thought what he did such a very poor example for, for, for the young men that he leads. But Gordon doesn't get off scot-free here. You grab the guy. You, you, you yeah. wanted, this guy tried to walk by you because he wasn't happy in the moment and was being composed, and you pulled him into this. Okay, why? Because you needed to be made right in that moment. And I thought that was a very bad look for Greg Gard. I didn't like it at all. And I thought that the Big Ten should have certainly come down on him and the University of Wisconsin with some kind of suspension to understand that you, in that moment, you know what, you want to make it right with him, Call him, send him a text later, make a phone call, have a conversation, tell the media afterwards, this is what we did. Making that scene, making that something on national TV and spotlighting that in the way that Greg Gard did, I thought was dead wrong, and he should have absolutely received some kind of punishment along with Juwan Howard. This was not a Juwan Howard. Listen, Juwan Howard was wrong, and I think he should have been suspended longer. There's no doubt about it. I am not whitewashing Juwan Howard's actions here at all. But to say that Greg Gard had very little to do with this i think it's extremely unfair to juan howard guys yeah i i I said the same thing brian well well said man well said yeah we we talked yeah we did we did yeah i said let him go let him go i've been in those lines let him go you'll talk to him later let him go let him go you don't have to tell him in that moment you had your reasons (laughs) for doing it and you could certainly this is one of those things you got a post-game presser communicate through the media 
I know Juwan was upset. Yeah. I'm going to reach out to him and talk to him privately. This is why I called the timeout, and he and I will have a conversation. I understand why he was upset in the moment. And let this whole thing go away. You won the basketball game. <laughs> you got, you know what I mean? But guard had yeah. to be right in that moment. He had to be. And to me, that's a little bit of a problem. It is, we talk about cooler heads prevailing. Okay, there were two guys, two coaches there that didn't have cooler heads there. They absolutely did not. Here's the other part of this: is guard to an extent responsible for some of the actions of some of his, some of his assistant coaches in that spot? Because there was some there was some aggression. There was certainly after the fact an, an obscene gesture from one of his assistant coaches. At one point or another, where's their accountability for that? I just listen. Howard deserved to be suspended, but Greg Gard had a big role in what was a really ugly incident for the Big Ten, for college basketball, and for both of those universities. I'm just, I just hope that my wife's not listening, Brian, talking about needing to be right. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna expose me here. You're going to expose the need to be right. <laughs> oh, listen, hey, hey, it doesn't, tell you guys, it doesn't take your wife to do that, Eric. Right now. Okay, yeah, so I'm on my yeah. second marriage, Eric, okay? And what I've learned the second time through, okay, is that being right is a whole lot less important than it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll take that away. That's that, I'm going to take that Touchdown. away from this conversation more than anything. Forget the last 25 minutes of basketball. That's what I'm taking away from this conversation. Touchdown, Geltziler. Touchdown, Geltziler. <laughs> and and give, Eric, give Eric the touchdown dance to go with it, man. <laughs> You've got to do the, 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 old, the old Billy White Hughes Johnson, right? <laughs> hey Brian, thanks for the time today. Thanks, Brian. Anytime. Always a pleasure with the two of you guys, and I we knocking on both your doors sometime soon to return the favor. Thank you, and I'll talk sure. to you both soon. For sure, for sure. Yeah, anytime, sure. anytime. There is uh, Brian Geltziler from uh, NBA Radio on uh, Sirius I'm over here doing the icky shuffle, Jonesy. Little icky woods. Did you see the commercial <laughs> that was airing around uh, Super Bowl yes. with icky woods? Yes. I mean, in the supermarket. Icky, yeah. Yeah. Icky. Icky doesn't look the same as he used to, but he's still got the personality. We'll give him that. And he's he's got the moves. He's got the moves. <laughs> Oh. It was either the Icky Shuffle or the Dirty Bird with Jamal Anderson. Those were those were the two touchdown dances back in the day that I, I remember more than any. Um, anyway, I digress. We're going to shift our attention not from football, not but from basketball to baseball. And Jonesy, it's in jeopardy, man. The start of the season. Uh, we should have been talking about pitchers and catchers by now, right? Yeah, not good. Not good.